theyeshiva.net. Good morning, everybody. Welcome, Bruchim Aboyim. So we're on page 240. Column 3. Like 15 lines from the bottom. The line starts, Shot umizgala shamchuli vidal. You see page 240, column 1, column 3. So after explaining that there's a concept called Susa Sherachav Alav HaMelech, the horse on which the king rides, which as the Balatanya explained here, is the vehicle in each generation. There's the vehicle, which he calls the Sus, the, the instrument, the medium, through which there's Giluyalakus, the godliness is revealed in the world. And each generation has its own unique mission, even though there's one that encompasses all of the generations, as he puts it. But nonetheless, there's a particular vehicle that is particularly applicable to one der versus another der, and even within generations, a certain time in a person's life, a day, a year, a month, a week. When he, at one moment, at one time, the vehicle for Gilead is through one thing, and another time it's another thing. It's a different source, so to speak. And sometimes within an hour, within a, one day, within a, within a few hours, there's differences. So he continues, he says, V'hine b'zman ha-chashvedesh, b'galus b'ayis rishin. Time of ha-chashvedesh, which was the galus of b'ayis rishin. Of course, the story of Purim happened when the Jewish people were exiled in Persia and other countries after the Churban of Bayis Rishon. And uh, the whole story of Purim happened towards the end of the 70-year period of the Galus, before they came back to build the second Beis HaMikdash. So Azay, at that time, The Churban, when you speak about the Galus, the first Galus, this was the first Galus after Mitzrayim, but this was the first Galus from Eretz Yisrael, of Kalal Yisrael, it's not just a physical galus. It's also a spiritual exile. That the Shekhinah also went into exile. When the Jewish people leave their, left their Yisrael, it's not just they were physically dislocated from one place to another place. As the Gemara says in Megillah, Kol makam shagalu Yisrael shechinei imam, galu l'bavil shechinei imam, galu l'edem shechinei imam, galu l'elam shechinei imam, galu l'yavon, galu l'madai. The Gemara in the end of Masechus Megillah goes through a list. Wherever they went into exile, the Shekhinah comes with them. Spiritually, what this means is that there was Islam Shus HaShekhinah BeKlipas Neiga. The Shekhinah became enclosed, the divine presence of what we call Klipas Neiga. Klipas Neiga literally means a translucent shell or a, a shining shell. Klipas Neiga, which is Pchinas Toiv Shebeneiga. Klipah means a shell, a husk. Klipas Neiga is a husk where the Toiv could come through. It's not completely darkened. It's not a completely eclipsed. It's called Toiv Shebenayga. Same is true in that story when Achatshvedish gives the ring to Haman, allowing him to issue forth an edict with the seal of the king. He removes his ring 
and he gives it over to Haman, who Gamkein. So on the lit- in the literal story, you're dealing with an Achashvedish and a Haman. But as Chazal tells us, when it says Hamelech, in Megillah it's also a Remez for Hashem. It's a hint for Hashem. It's brought in Medrash, the Ramah brings it also Mechir Yayin, that Achashvedish is Achar is Vedashis Shaloi, the end and the beginning is his. And when it says Hamelech, it refers to Hashem. So the story also has a spiritual metaphor. That when it says Vayaser Hamelech as Tabata, he takes off his ring and he gives it. So he says, "Ugamken inyan oifin islapshus alakus aydekelim mekelim shayna." It's the way that godliness is manifested in different vessels. He takes off his ring and he gives it. It means that at this time, alakus is being manifested in different kelim, different types of mediums. For inyan shalatabas, this specific thing is the ring. The ring wasn't just a ring a person has on a finger. It was a ring that had the seal. That's how the kings would have. They had rings, the signet, the, the, the seal of the king, which would sign, it would seal all the documents, the, the, the decrees, the edicts. If you take the seal of a regular king, he seals a letter or an edict, a decree with his ring. The fact that the king has this seal is because in the ring is engraved his name. He takes the tabas, the ring, and he signs. He signs the papers, he signs the documents. So his, his name is engraved in the ring. Even though in this signature... You only have the letters of his name. And there's no comparison between the name of a person relative to his essence. In other words, what what is this ring already? It has sachakal. After everything said and done, what does it have? It has the letters of his name. The name of this king is engraved in the ring, and when he signs it, so now it shows up, the stamp shows up in the document, on the document which he signed. So now you have the letters of his name. You can't compare the letters of a person's name to his essence, to his core, to his atmos. People had chaysamos, they had their Today it's a signature. And they had their seals where they would sign. Person signs his name. So he gives an example. Reuven ben Yaakov. Huh? Yeah. Municipality has a seal. Municipality has a seal, yeah. Yeah, you go to notarize, the notarizers, notary, yeah. Corporations have seals. So a person signs his personal name. Reuven ben Yaakov. Or any other name. You're not going to say that in this signature you have the essence of Reuven. Reuven signs and he goes away. What do you have? You have the letters of his name that he signed. It's not nobody's going to say that here you have contained the core of his soul and his heart and his mind and his psyche and his personality. It's completely, infinitely inferior and be remote from his essence. But there's something about a signature. There's something about a seal. There's something about the seal that captures the essence of the king. 
or the essence of the corporation, in a sense that this has in it, as we call it, the stamp, the stempel of the melech. Because with this seal, he is expressing, he's validating his will, his conviction, as when he seals a decree or an edict. His inner will is coming out and engraved on paper or on the document through this seal. As a Cheshveder says, that Ksav, Asher Nichtav, Asher Nechtav, Betabas, HaMelech, Ein Lohoshev. It's not retractable. He cannot change it, even if tomorrow he changes his mind, it's not so simple to change it. That's why Cheshveder couldn't change. He said to Esther, Mardecha, he can't change the original decree. Why? Because it was Ksav, Asher Nechtav, Nechtav, Betabas, HaMelech. It was known historically, and even that, you signed, you signed. Yeah. When you're debating, you want to sell the house, you don't want to sell the house, you want to buy the house, you want to, buy the, you want to sell the company, you don't want to sell the company, all good. But then there's the moment you sign. The moment you sign, this is it. So on many levels, what, what's, what's the technical thing? When I wrote the letters of my name, so what the letters of my name, what, what are they? What it's me? It's a few letters. But the truth is, that's what a signature is. A signature, even though on one level it's so remote from what would seem significant, it captures, it embodies, it becomes a representation of what I want, what my soul wants, what my conviction is, what my decision is, what my edict is. Now, therefore, tomorrow I change my mind. You changed your mind. But that captured all your deliberations and your considerations back and forth, and then you made a, you made a decision. That's what a chosem, that's what the seal represents. Rotsin represents the core of the soul, my will, my desire, what I really want. That's deeper in the soul more than other faculties because this is my Rotsin. And that's what the signature represents. This is my Rotsin, this is my desire. This marshal of a ring, a signature. A ring which has the stamp, the, the signet of the king. In our world is a marshal, it's a metaphor. When we speak about the seal of Hashem, which is called in the Megillah, Tabas HaMelech, the ring of the king. Again, literally it's a Hashvedish, but metaphorically Chazal say it's Hashem. It's similar to what it says by the Tzitz. Parshas Tetzave which is always read in the, around the time of Adar, and time of Purim, Purim Katan or Purim Gadol. What does it say? The tzitz was the plate that the Kohen Gadol dawned on his forehead. And on the tzitz it says, you should engrave on the tzitz an engravement of the chosim, again of the, from the word chasima, which is the signature, and the two words on the tzitz were Kodesh Lashem. So here again we see the concept of the Chosim of whom? This is the Chosim of, of, of Kodesh Lashem. Kumashin is Bayalamaila, as said before, this is the Chosim of Hashem. Chesamish Lakadish Baruch. Vahainyan, what does this mean? In this ring, 
Nechtam Gilui Ratsana Elyon is sealed. What comes out is the Chaisim, the sealed sealing of the manifestation of Mazar Ratsana Elyon, Afal Pishayna Melabchinis Chaisis Bulva. Even though, like in every signature, it's only letters, but nonetheless, these letters capture the inner Rats and the inner will. Umitam Mashal Hanal. As the same idea, the reason explained in the marshal that we just said, Vizel, that's why he says in the Megillah, that a document that was written and then signed with the ring, the signet of the king, Achashfeder says, I can't retract. And this is what happened then by Purim, that even after Haman was executed, and Achashfeder showed favor to Esther and Mordechai and the Jewish people, he said, I can't do anything about the first decree, the first edict that was issued forth, which gave every Persian citizen and every person the full royal right to exterminate Rahman al-Utzlan, every single Jew, Minarva, Zokin, Tavan, Oshem, on one day on the 13th of other, he says, I can't retract it. Even though I changed my mind now, the Chasima happened. What Achashverish allowed the Jewish people was no more than self-defense. And initially, they were just to be victims, because the royal troops would assist probably in the genocidal plan. Now, after the first decree was issued forth, he never retracted it. All he did was, he gave the Jewish people the full royal permission to stand up to their enemies, to fight back, which is what they did. That's why people don't realize that Purim wasn't just Stam, everything was good. They had to fight major battles because the first decree was still in place. Haman was killed. Haman's children were killed. But the decree that one day every Jew should be wiped out, nobody took it back. The king couldn't take it back. So what happened on the 13th day of other was, that was the day when they were supposed to kill out the Jews. That's when the Haman's lot, lot fell on that day. So that day the Jews fought back. And they fought back courageously, and they fought back successfully. And throughout the year, their, their glory went up. So it drove fear into a lot of people. And those who came to fight were the real Jew haters. And the Jews fought back. And then Esther wanted that in Shushan it should continue for another day, the fighting. Because over there you had more Jew haters. And that continued on the 14th of Adar, which is why in the rest of the Persian Empire, the celebration was on the 14th, and the fight was on the 13th. And in Shushan, the battle continued for two days. But people don't realize, when they read the Megillah, a lot of, lot of violence there, a lot of bloody violence. And they don't realize that it was a complete war of self-defense. The Jews would have died, they would have been murdered, and they stood up in self-defense for one day or for two days, and in Shushan, they rested on the 15th, because on the 14th they were still fighting, and that's why there's Shushan Purim, on Tesvav, instead of Yudalad, like it is in the rest of the, rest of the, the other regions of, of Achashverosh's empire, and hence the two celebrations of Purim in Jewish history, as the Megillah says, the cities that are open, not fortified, Yudalad, like we do, and other cities, like Yerushalayim, and other places, Mukafim Chaima, like Shushan, where they do Purim on Tesvav. But the original decree couldn't be retracted. Why? Because it was Nechdam B'Tabas HaMelech. You signed. Person signs, and then they say, but, uh, I had a bad day. <laughs> that you had to do before the signing. Once the person signs, somehow the Chasima captures your Ratzin, your inner Ratzin. Did the, 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 the priest survive the death of the king? 
I th- I, th- I don't think so. Yeah. The second question would be: Was it reiterated on the thirteenth? But they just yeah, yeah. It was designated on the thirteenth. So was it was for all times then after that? Four people people could have that license. Yes. No, one year. The decree came out before Pesach, right? Yud Gimel Nissen. That in 11 months on Yud Gimel Adar, everyone has a right and even a duty and a royal instruction to go kill the Jews. Just on that day or was That day, one day. One day. But because it was a royal decree, and the Jew, all the Jews were under Achashverosh's empire, therefore the astronomical dimensions of that Gzeir are unfathomable because it targeted every Jew alive. Even Achman al-Latsan of the Second World War, when Hitler wanted to kill every Jew, right? He didn't he wanted to, but he didn't have access to the United States of America. He didn't have access to Great Britain. He tried, but he didn't. He didn't have access to what was then called Palestine. He tried, but he didn't. Achashvedish was Mehoiduvat Medina. So in that sense, they, every Jew was targeted in one day, literally. So the Ksav, Ashenechta Batabasamalach, he says, I can't take back. All I can do is give another decree. And the other decree is you could fight, <laughs> fight back, self defense. The Jews would have fought back naturally? Who needs a decree to fight back? <laughs> That's a good question. Wouldn't the Jews fight back naturally? And I think the answer to that is as long as the royal troops were assisting the genocide of Haman. It would have probably been, according to natural circumstances, futile. But now, Achashverosh's troops backed off. They're not going to assist in it. But you still have citizens. Any Jew hater who had any axe to grind with Jews came out of the closet and fought. And if Jews would not fight back, they would have died. And those people could not be tried for murder because they were following the decree of the king. So there's no governmental assistance. That's how I understand, yeah. There was no governmental assistance, so it gave the Jews... A, a, a fighting chance, A, and B, throughout the year, because Mordechai was appointed to such a high position, the, the, the status of the Jewish people was elevated to a completely different space. And it says, that the dread of the Jewish people has descended upon many of the citizens, which probably weakened the desire of many to come and attack. So the same is true also in the Nimshal. When we speak about Tabas, HaMelech of Hashem, Kumaisha Kosev, the Lashon of the Posaga, Hu Amar Veloyasa, Udvarai Loyashuv Reikam. That's like the Chasima, the Tabas, HaMelech, the Kayotse, similar Psukim, the Dailamev. And here is the unique story. Pam Nitin Chosim, Tabas, Lohaman, Upam Vayitna, Lamardechai. In one part of the story, the beginning, the ring is given to Haman. Later in the story, he takes off his ring and he gives it who? Even though the remoteness is extreme. We go back to what we said earlier in the Maimir in Perek, Gimel, that in the presence of the essence of the king, who is infinitely transcendent of all, Hakol Shovin, everything is identical. Kamosh Kosov, as the Pasuk says in Tehillim. Kachashech Ka'ira, darkness is like light. Adeloya, Dabein Arar Haman, Labarach Mardachai Vidal. So, Vizel, Shamar Haman, this is what Haman tells, uh, tells the king. When he asks him to take the garment and take the crown and take the horse 
and give it to that one person who he wants to show favor. Haman says, Take the horse upon which the king rides, or rode. And the crown, the royal crown given on his head, and place it on this person. Pirush, Keser Malchus. What's Keser Malchus? Keser Malchus is the physical crown, but it also represents Hainupchines Harotzoin. Shehu Keser Lemidas Amalchus Lamaila. Keser represents the Rotzoin, will, desire, which is always the crown for the attribute of Malchus and Hashem. The crown, the keser of the attribute of Malchus, Lamaila by Hashem, is Ratz. Even though the Pasuk says in Ashra, say every day, your Malchus, your kingship is a Malchus that extends to all the worlds. You're not a Melech in one, one, one region or one country, one province or even one continent. Your malchus extends, it's malchus kolelamim, all of the universes, physical and spiritual, mikomakoim, malchus. Malchus needs to be fueled by a rotzim. The attribute of leadership must be motivated by desire, by a passion. Mishum de be'emes. This is true. It's every melech, real leadership. Real leadership is unwavering commitment that redefines a person. You see, there's two types of melachim. There's a king who craves the position because he wants to fill a void within himself. Yeah. Like a mayor who spent $100 million to be elected as a mayor, what, what do you need it for? Somehow the person feels that his life will be fulfilled if he could be given a position of power. And that's why people spend astronomical amounts of money and energy and resources to be able to be elected or re-elected. So what is the ultimate motivation? So there may be different opinions and there may be different people and different motivations. But one very common thing is a person feels if I don't have that position, something is missing in me. So maybe I want validation, maybe I want respect, maybe I want power, maybe I want to have the feeling of being on top Maybe I want to change things for the good. But whatever the motivation is, very often, at the core of it could be a void. A void that I'm missing something. And therefore, if I beget this position, I will finally be fulfilled. Which then means that actually I'm, I'm a makabal more than I'm a mashpia. I receive more than I give. Because what I need really here is the approval, the accolades of the, of the people. Famous Vajra Bishaw Salanter, it says at the end of Masech Saita that one of the simonim of Ikvas and the Meshich is Pnei Hadoir, Kipnei HaKelev. The face of the generation will be like the face of a dog. Now, it's very sharp words of our sages. Bishaw Salanter, founder of the Muslim movement, asked what it means. And he gave a commentary and he said that a dog leads the way. When you have a dog, a pet, the dog always run, usually runs ahead of the master. And it looks like the dog is leading the way. That's the whole road, till it comes to a fork. It comes to a fork, the dog is ahead, but it looks back, right? It turns around and waits for your gesture, whether we're going right or we're going left. He says, Pnei hadur, sometimes the face of a generation, the leaders of a generation are exactly the same way. It looks like they're leaders, but really when they come to a fork, they look and they wait to hear what this one says, what that one said. 
what the polls say, what the statistics say. Why? Because essentially I'm a leader, but I'm more of a follower than I'm a leader. I'm a leader in the sense that I'm leading the way, but ultimately it's all dependent on the people behind me. So that's one type of melech. There's another type of kid, another type of leader who actually doesn't need it. Not only doesn't need it, he doesn't want it. Yeah, it's actually a punishment for him. <laughs> it's not a promotion; it's a demotion. It's not promoting him; it's demoting him. The Baal Shem Tov told one of uh, the story of the Baal Shem Tov. He told his talmidim that he was told by his rebbe that because he did something wrong, he was punished. What was the punishment? Punishment is that he has to he has to reveal himself. He has to become known. So he called it a punishment. Moshe Rabbeinu refused to go. Hashem is telling you you'll be the most recognized. Moshe Rabbeinu is the most famous person who ever lived in history. Moshe Avramovin, one of those two, they had the greatest impact, not just on the Jewish people, on all of human history, on all of civilization. Moses, he didn't want it. He wanted to be a shepherd, an anonymous shepherd, shepherding the sheep of his father-in-law. Why? You could be so big and so powerful. Because actually, for certain people, it's taking them away from, them, from themselves. It's not just you have to give up your Elam Haza, you have to give up your Elam Haba. The leader doesn't only give up material comforts and luxury and, and doing your own thing and being selfish. The leader gives up his spiritual life. He gives up, so to speak, not only his Elam Haza, Elam Haba, it's not an easy thing to do. It's not just you're giving up material comforts, you're giving up your essence. Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to be intimate with God. I'm not a man of words. I'm not interested in communication. Now I have to deal with Dasan and Aviram and Kairach and this one and that one. Every Monday and Thursday a mutiny. So therefore, the real concept of Malchus, real Malchus is when it's not, it's not for you in order to be able to be fulfilled, which means basically you can't really be in a position of a leader because you're still receiving the Melech is wholesome. He's good. He really doesn't need the ratings and approval. He doesn't need that Ploini Almoini should sit and say, wow, this is a good president. This is a good mayor. This king I like. So what's motivating him? What's motivating him is that he feels a mission and a responsibility for the people. Huh? And it's something very deep and internal. That you need a special rotsen for. A desire that this is who this is who I am. This is my core value. Not to distract myself from pain or from something that I didn't receive. But this is actually my rotsen. When it comes, now we can understand by Hashem, he says. There's no king without a nation. You can't be a king without a people. But here's the problem. Ein Melech Beloyah means to be a king, you have to have a people, a nation. And the nation is separate from you. And the uniqueness of leadership is that the nation chooses you. Like we say in the bracha of Emes Vemunash by Meirith. But when it comes to Hashem, there's nothing separate from Him. Chuli. Created everything, something from nothing, so their entire existence is him. So, how can he really be a king over them and that it should be meaningful? Leadership is a meaningful thing because there are people who are separate from you. You can't get the feeling of being a king over your own body. 
even though sometimes that's a different type of malucha. It's naturally part of you. Yeah. A melech over your family. It's not called a melech. Yeah. The concept of leadership, a person could learn medicine for years and years, and then comes the day they're appointed as the leader of this department in the hospital. Something changes in the person. It's not that you got new information. Yeah. A lawyer for many years is appointed to the senator, Supreme Court. It's not like you learned new information today, but you become a different person. Person has been a lawyer and been in leadership for many years, nominated to be the president of the United States of America. Something changes in you. Your midas hamalucha comes out. You're not the same person anymore. It's not like you learned new things today. You didn't learn anything today, but something new happens to you. Why? As a result of the leadership, the, the, the sitting on that seat, sitting on that throne. It's the quality of the relationship, who you are vis-a-vis all these people. But medvarim amurim, if they're separate from you, if they're distinct from you. Then there's something very deep here. In this case, it seems like to be a joke. Because who does Hashem want to be a melech over? Himself. Everybody is created through his chiyos. And they're created every single moment. Something from nothing. And they're not separate from him. So he says, So you need a special rotsan and a tainug that this type of melucha should be meaningful to him. You need to be ma'ayr de rotsan le melucha. That's called keser malchus. The crown that fuels the malucha, the rotsan that fuels it. So when we say that the ring, the signature, has his rotsoin, has his rotsoin, that's the tabas, the lucha needs a rotsoin. That's called keser malchus. So Haman says, the person receives the nitan, he should be given the keser malchus b'roishoy, that in the end, the horse of the king, that in the letters of the horse, the horse represents the vehicle of revelation, as we explained, there should be the pnimius haratzen, shouldn't only be a horse, it should have the crown of the king on the horse, his inner will should be there. The will and tainuk from Malucha should be there. Kumashakasav Elio in Pasak Elio, Keser Malchus Alei Itmar Magid Mereshis Achar is Huli Vidilamaven. Vihine Achashanitan Keser Malchus Abasus. That Rotsan comes from the arm, yeah. Yeah. Vihine Achashanitan Keser Malchus Abasus. After this keser malchus is given to the person in the horse, that's what Haman wanted. And the horse is the horse on which the king rides. Hello, We said that the horse is the vehicle through which the person gets elevated from a very low place to a very high place because the horse sublimates; it elevates the person. To the point that it lifted him up. As we said, it lifts up Hashem to a place of exaltedness. The horse goes both ways. There's the horse that brings you down, as he said, there's the horse that brings you up. Whenever there's that sus, which is two times gas, back to the whole hemshik of gasus, 
to the point that he becomes exalted. Now he rejects the Rishayim. Now the Shechina dwells in a place of holiness. There's no room for spider webs. Now the ring goes to Mardechai. So it's the horse itself which ultimately becomes the defeat of Haman. The Hainulius Oyevus Yaakovus Esav Sonesi to love Yaakov and loathe Esav who Gilio Rots and the Knesset Yisrael Davka. That the Rots and the Kesser Malchus should come out for Knesset Yisrael for Kedusha for Lisnei Oyevud Sinai, where those who transgress the Rots and those who want a world of bloodshed and promiscuity ultimately it becomes loathed. Vatam Shadei Tapas Davka. Why is it the ring? The ring is round, circular. The tabas represents that which encompasses and surrounds. The eagle, the circle of the tabas, represents that which encircles that which is inside. In the terminology of Nister, this is called something that is makif and soiviv. We speak about mamale versus soiviv. The ring encircles an empty space. That's something that's makif, it's around. The difference is, it's a metaphor. That which fills the space means that which relates to your identity. It fills you up, like when you eat. In other words, it's something that relates to your vessels. That which is soiv of a makif means it transcends your individual realm, it transcends your individual vessels, even though it's inside of you, but it's not in a conscious way that you can relate to it, because it's not restricted, it's not filtered according to your capacity. Uknesis Yisrael, when it comes to Knesset Yisrael, to the Jewish people, is makif v'soiv of shalahan, in their state of makif and soiviv, he madvukim ba'atzmus alakus, are always connected to the essence of godliness. That's what the tabas represents. The tabas amelech. On the level of makif and saiva, which in today's language you may call the superconscious, right? There's two parts to us. There's the part that you're conscious of. I ask you who you are. These are my feelings. These are my emotions. These are my experiences. These are my thoughts. But that's only a very little part of you. That's what the brain allows to be filtered into your conscious self. And it's very restricted information that you can deal with. That's the water that fills the vessel. It's called mamale. What's soiviv? Soiviv means it surrounds you. It's makif. It encircles you. That's the ring. It encompasses you. It's above you, like around you. What does it mean? It doesn't mean it's not in you. It means it's inside of you, but not in a way that you experience it according to your limited vessels, because your limited vessels can't experience it. It's too intense. It's too overwhelming. So it's there, but it's there in a state of makif superconscious, or if you want, subconscious, meaning it has a tremendous impact on you, but you may not be aware of all this that has an impact so, on you. Yeah, yeah. So he says that the Knesset Yisrael in, the, in their makif, they're always davuk ba'atzmos alakos. In a level, in a state of makif, in their makif and seviv, in their superconscious, they're always one with the essence of alakos. Vahainu l'maylum inatam v'das which means it could be beyond rationality, beyond tam, beyond reason and das, conscious perceived awareness. The relationship is not just, it could be conscious also, but it's much deeper than conscious. It's super conscious. It's makif. It's not just one that is restricted to their way of understanding it. It's one that touches them in their core, which is beyond their rational experience. We see this practically. 
Now you want to hear that Alter is going to say, we see practically that every Jew in his makif is davuk ba'atzmus alakos. What's it? B'chush means practically. You can see it. B'yisrael gam b'pchus ha'erech. And every Jew. Gam b'pchus ha'erech means somebody whose value would seem a very, very low nature. In other words, sometimes you see a Jew who is spiritually, intellectually, Jewishly developed and fine-tuned. But we're not talking about that person. We're talking about every Jew. So he says even pachas ha'erech. Pachas ha'erech means in terms of Jewishness, it would seem that his value would be low. What do we see? A fa- the following fact. This is a, quite a line. Even though he has tremendous pleasure from wealth, and he has tremendous pleasure from covet, which is why he's calling him a pchusa erech. Some people, covet doesn't mean much to them. Wealth, they may use it, but it doesn't mean much to them in the sense of self-aggrandizement and self-glorification. But here we're talking about a Jew that when he has a lot of money, there's a tremendous tainuk for him. And when he gets tremendous covet, which is connected usually with money in this world, habahatalia, he gets tremendous tainuk. There's, there's something very special about it. Now this man has everything. He has wealth, which means he lives comfortably and beautifully. He's obviously alive and well. And he has covet malachim. The whole world is running after him. Somehow the guy is miserable inside. He's sitting in therapy a half a week. Something is missing. What's missing? Everybody looks at you, they're jealous. They're dying from jealousy. They walk into your house, they die from jealousy. They look at your suit, they die from jealousy. They look at your car, they die from jealousy. They look at your bank account, or they don't look, but they imagine... They die from jealousy. And you're the only guy who sits inside and says, my life alive, is garnished. Huh? Only guy that stays alive. And, and so he says, something is very stranger. Somehow you see in life that this is not what he really wants. He says he wants it. He dedicates his whole life to it. He's 18 hours working for it. But it's not Pnimi Yisritzayna. If it would be if this would be what he really wants, when he gets it, he should say, I'm done, I'm good. Life is unbelievable. Life is awesome. Usually those people are more miserable than other people. Or not more, but equally. <laughs> I don't know, more or less. So he says, what's the Indian here? That there's something, there's a, there's a void that is there. And you can't take it away. And the fact that a person goes on the most beautiful vacations and has material comforts and material pleasures, it's, it's nice and he enjoys it. He's not, he's not talking about a person who's mamish, a miserably depressed person in the clinically and he can't enjoy anything. He says he enjoys it. It's, it's special. But there's something tugging at the core of his heart. Something is missing. There's, 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 there's a void. Now, he doesn't mean only people who are wealthy and, and have covered. The Kiddush is even... Somebody who's not wealthy and doesn't have covered, so he could say, push it, give me another $200,000 to, to finish the year, I'll be happy. He could blame it on that. Yeah, Even if I got money, but if my wife will start honoring me and my mother-in-law will start honoring me and the community will start honoring me, I'll be a happy person, right? I'll have self-confidence. So you could blame it on that, but this person can't blame it on that. Alts is good. Every dream has come true. The checklist, the checklist that he made, the goals that he set, come true. So, now you should sit on the couch, 
put one foot on the other foot and say, life is awesome, life is great. Lepel, you look into his eyes and you see pain. Lepel, he's sitting at a happy occasion when everything, everybody is celebrating with his wealth and his assets. He should be on top of the world. And internally, there is a dissatisfaction and he searches and looks and some people have to run their whole life to every place in the world and every personality in the world just to fill that void. Why? Because there's something internally that's missing. And here he says, And he says, This often you will not see in Gentiles. Fascinating. You will not often not see, you'll find a certain comfort. person has money, he has what he needs, he has security, he has shelter, he has some money, he's a happy person. By Jews, it doesn't work that way. He says, why the zel their, their will is fulfilled. I remember I once, uh, I once met an Italian. I knew there was an Italian gentile. He was a big therapist. And uh, I met him once. He was schmoozing. I had a friendship with him. So he says, I asked him, his name was Tony. So I said, I said, Tony, how is life? How is life? He looked at me, he said, Life is perfect. And I paused. He says, why are you pausing? I said, I always ask people how life is. I never heard this from a Jew. <laughs> I never heard this response. Yeah. At best, usually it's my stomach, uh, my neck, I'm having a stroke, I almost had a heart attack, I can't walk, my back, I'm hungry, I'm starving, this is going on. The best you'll get is, not too bad. <laughs> which means the guy probably made $10 million. Or we have the generic Baruch Hashem, which uh, whatever that's supposed to mean. Yeah. <laughs> whatever that, you know, that can be everything. That can be everything. Baruch Hashem. Chayev Adam Levar. Ah, it means I don't want to tell you. They say the definition of a nudnik is you ask him how you're doing and he actually tells you. <laughs> right? He actually tells you. Yeah? You ever ask somebody how you're doing? He says, okay, try it out. My mortgage this month, this. My shalom bay is this. My son, this. My daughter, this. I didn't mean it. <laughs> when I asked you how you are, just say, Baruch Hashem, fine, let's move on. But Bemis, it's not like that. People carry a lot within them. And this is very important because what the Balatanya is helping us understand is to identify the cause of the void. The cause of the void is very, very deep. It's not. It's good to make a couple, another couple of dollars. He's not saying you shouldn't be comfortable and you shouldn't be wealthy. You should have oishu, you should have covered, outskotten, fine. But you have to be able to identify what is going on. So I asked Tony, what makes your life perfect? Maybe you could give me the recipe and if I could share this with my brothers, I could make a lot, a lot of money. If I could say, hey, listen to this lecture and your life will be perfect. You know how people make these guarantees. So he said... He said, he tells me. Seven, seven habits of a Jew. Seven habits, yeah. <laughs> so he tells me, he says, I've been building a kayak for four years. You know those kayaks? Four years I've been building it. And I completed it this weekend, and I went out on it into the river in the Long Island where he is, and I took it out on the water after four years, and I sat there. And what should I tell you? Life was perfect. And I thought to myself, this ain't going to work for the Jews. <laughs> I want you all to build a, high, a kayak for four years. And say, I should build it? I'll hire somebody to build it. Why should, what am I, a loser? I built a kayak for four years? Huh? Let Noyach build it, yeah. Let Shem Chamanyafis build it, yeah. 
It's like telling a Jew to change his flat tire, fix his flat tire. Well, that's why I have AAA, that's why I pay Geico, that's why I have insurance, that's why I have people that work for me. I don't get down there. Yeah? Huh? But the truth is that there's something very deep here. What the Balatanya is teaching us is that there's a restlessness in the Jewish soul. There's a restlessness. There's a certain void. There's an emptiness. And that emptiness cannot be fulfilled through usher and covet, through wealth and glory. Not that these things are not important. The person has to make ends meet. And a person should have our chavah. But these could become distractions. A person can't pay his bills. Or a person is being, uh, is, is feels a lack of respect and so forth. It's very hard to function. That's true. But then there is pursuing your innermost core. Pursuing your innermost rotsam. So he says, All this is true, but a lot of people don't know this. This is not a rational thing that he could say rationally. It makes sense. I see it. This is not a rational conclusion as a result of his philosophical and theological studies, and he reaches conclusions, and therefore he's looking for something. No, it's not Nigea. You have it by philosophers, you have it by illiterates also. It has to do with who you are. It has to do with the shayrish of your neshama. You may not feel it, but there's something called a mazel. Mazel means your inner, inner core, super conscious. Mazel doesn't mean the mazel is somewhere a hundred billion light years away. Mazel means it's in you. Why, would it, why do we call it lamayla? That's what soiviv means, makif. Makif is in you, but it's in you in a way that you're not consciously aware of it in a clear way. It impacts you very, very deeply. So you have this nut, you have this void, you're trying to numb it. But you don't know what that void is, you just know you're looking for something. So today you're here, and tomorrow you're there. And this is one of, and by the way, I should say among Jews themselves, you have, you could see this clearly with certain people, I told you once, Dr. Tversky told me, Dr. Rabbi Abraham Shia Tversky told me once, he's been working with recovery for 60 years, literally, and we were once at a conference at Boca Raton for uh, recovery. So I asked him to share something, what he learned 60 years, so just one point, you know, he can't share 60 years. And he told me these words at a Friday night meal, or Shabbos day meal, he said that uh, from 60 years of experience, I can tell you, that addicts are usually far, far more spiritual than other people. And therefore the regular pains of life that other people just gloss over, they can't ignore. It touches them so deeply. Because he says spirituality for them is not a luxury. It's oxygen. They have to, it's, it's oxygen. And when they don't have it, they go crazy in ways that others don't. Others, they know that life is, 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 is filled with corruption and stuff. And you move on. But they have such a deep spiritual sensitivity that the pain of the lack of it is so powerful that they have to numb it in ways that other people don't numb it. So when you look at them numbing their pain, at the surface it looks like they're lowly. But really they're just simply deeper. And because they're deeper, what works for so many others does not work for them because they have deeper neshamas. Oiz gematat neshamas. 
But this is unique. But this is true about the fact is, in this sense, you could say, I don't mean to be so dramatic. I call them, sometimes I see people, I say, you have the soul of an addict. You have the soul of an addict. It's not an insult, it's a compliment. You may turn it into an insult if you choose wrongly, but that's the soul. In other words, you have to have full truth. If you're not going to have full truth, if you're not going to be connected fully, you're going to end up in Sha'al Tachtas. Because the pain is going to be too much. You could get you, you lease yourself this beautiful car and get yourself this most beautiful watch. It's going to mean nothing to you. You'll have it, and people will say, Then when people come to Abba Mitzvah, they look at the Shmogas, but and for this, you had to mutchers like 20 years of your life so that some freser should come into your chas and he didn't need a whole day because he knows he's coming to your wedding at 6 o'clock. Should stand by the shmogas board and eat up everybody's sushi, right? Until the last piece, which he's also eyeing, right? And he says, Ooh, and you feel good. <laughs> and for this, you had to mutcher and harder and sweat. Well, it's not type of smoke, it was a joke. And people live in this orbit. They live in this orbit just to impress the neighbor should come in, yeah, should eat for an hour and then, <coughs> forgive me, make an aficha and leave and say this was a good simcha. This is what makes it a good simcha. Why don't you think about the souls of the people? The chasen, the, the people, the real people, the real relationships here. But this is what impressions mean. You got to, what are the, the Jones? What's the title of that? Uh, keeping, up keeping up with the Jones. So sometimes people's whole orbit is, and they become so obsessed with this, they don't even realize how empty they are inside and how, how uh, obsessive they become. Why? Because this is really the cover-up for major, major voids, and if this cover-up gets revealed, I give out. It's a Watergate. Yeah, the emperor has no clothes. So therefore, the person is completely lives in this world of, 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 of delusions. So I told the person, you're a soul of an addict. You have to know. Either it's going to be very, either you're going to identify what you really, really need and stick with it. And if not, the person simply has to numb it. And this is a quality that the Jewish people have. That's why you'll see throughout history, any ma- let me listen to what I'm telling you, any major revolution to change the world, you will see that Jews are somehow involved. And nobody knows why and how. We don't constitute even a quarter of a percent of civilization. If Jews would be 20%, 30%, you understand that this proportion that they involved, really, nobody should even know we exist. You know that. There's 14 million Jews. There's 2.5 billion Catholics. 1.6 billion Muslims. 1.3 billion Chinese. As I'm talking, another million were born. And Jews don't constitute even, listen to this, even one quarter of one percent of humanity. Nobody should even know we exist. And yet, and yet, every front page newspaper, yeah, there's some story about a Jew or about Israel. And it's gone on for thousands of years that way. Somebody once said, you Jews don't know how to play little league. Always big league. Just play little league. Go to your corner and, and eat your eat your Chinese food and shake lulav of us Vilter. Yeah. A Buddhist monk spends forty years in an ashram doing his thing. Nobody notices it. Molasim Tsudu. A Jew sneezes and it's front page of the New York Times. Because a Jew sneezed. It's a it's a half thing. 
comes to revolutions, Bolshevik revolution, disproportionately represented by... Take any major social revolution, and you'll see Jews have a disproportionate leadership role. Same is true in positive things. I'm not talking positive or negative. It's just the quality, Nobel Prizes and so forth. It's all one Nekudah. How it's expressed is different with every Jew. But the Nekudah is the same. That's what the Balatanya is identifying here. Haflet the Kavart. That there's a Nekudah Lamaila Mitam Vedas in the Shoirish and Neshama of a Jew. He may not be conscious what it is. That's why we call it Makif. That's why it's called Tabas HaMelech. The ring of the king. The ring of Melech Malche Amlochim licked in the Neshama. The Makif and Soivif. He may not identify what it is. He may not even rationally agree with it. He may try to get rid of it. <laughs> but you can't get rid of it because it's your makif. It's your unconscious core. Get rid of it. Try to get rid of it. You could do cosmetic surgery on your nose. You could try to do cosmetic surgery on your unconscious soul, but it doesn't work. You have to ultimately embrace it. You have to make peace with it. The Hesab Nochem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The chesim is Yom Kippur, right? V'chosmeinu. T'zochreinu l'chayim al'chavetz b'chayim v'kosveinu b'sefer achayim. Then there's Yom Kippur, especially by, by Ne'ilah. What do we say Ne'ilah means? Ne'ilah, to close. Chasimah, we say, v'chosmeinu b'sefer achayim. Chasoyim l'chayim toivim kol b'nei v'risachah. Right? Not kosveinu, chosmeinu. That's the chasimah. And then sukkah is hakafas, the makif. Because the chasimah is makif. That's what the Balatanya says. Sukkah is your makif every day, the bimah. They would be makif with aravas, and then comes shmini atzerisim chastoyim, the hakafas. That's all the makif. It's around. Why is it around? Because the makif of a Jew is always davuk and ain't safe. Always. And the search means that he's davuk. If you wouldn't be davuk, you wouldn't search for it. You search for something that you lost. You don't search for something that doesn't belong to you. What does the Gemara say about a shidduch, yeah? That a, a man looks for a shidduch, for a wife, like you look for a metziah. For something you lost. You know, you lost your, you lost your pen, you lost your, 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 your tie, you lost your computer, you lost your, you lost your keys. You look for it, yeah? So he says, Adam lost a part of him. He's looking for it. That's what the Gemara says. Men chase women because they're looking for the Metziah. They're looking for the... For the Aveda, yeah. Gemara and Kedushan. Right? You look for the Metziah. When you're looking for something, it means it's yours. If it's not yours, a real, a regular Metziah, you're looking and you find it, fine, Metziah, Baba Hesach But a Metziah that used to belong to you, it creates a void when it's not there. That's the Tabas. That's the Tabas. So Shlomo wants to know how to fill the void. Huh? How can the kid be filled in the void? Secret of life. Build a kayak for four years. Buy a yacht. Huh? Buy a yacht. <laughs> I'm afraid that building a kayak four years will fill it more than buying a yacht. Once somebody figures it out, and what? Huh? Once somebody figures it out, then no, then we go to the next project. The next boy. Last year we learned it.
That nigan is is uh, is a hemshech to this maimer. If you think about that nigan, that nigan, even the tune of it is a hemshech to this nigan. Okay. To be able to identify what it is. To identify what it is. You should have a lot of money. We're not being mavatal. You have a lot of money, do a lot of good things with the money. Yeah, we're going to get back to it, where Haman comes into it. It's, it's, he starts off, he's going to get later back in how long's paid a contest, so it'll become clear. Without fighting a vessel. Yeah, yeah. Okay. the <laughs> The rotten pnimi from the neighbors to lick by it. So the kesa malchus, the rotten lemaluche. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.